0: Well, we're in our second step in a series, uh, Five Things God Can't Do. And remember, the uh, the goal of the series is to discover not only what God can't do, but uh, also obviously by, by doing that, to, all to dis- also discover uh, the nature of God, to discover what God is like. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, if you're just kind of checking out this whole God thing, or whether you're sold out on Jesus and, you know, baptized as a baby and been living for God your whole life, it's still a good thing for us to just kind of explore and understand what is God like. So we started last week. We said, number one, uh, God can't lie. Remember that? God can't lie. That uh, it's against His very nature and that God has to remain consistent with His own nature. It's incongruent. He has to remain consistent consistent with his own nature. And so because God in his nature is truth, therefore God just simply can't lie. And we understood that because that's true, because that's truth that God can't lie, it means that we can go ahead and hold on to his promises, that all of those statements that he made uh, and promises he makes to us, they just have to be true because he can't lie. And so we can run to those promises and grab onto those. We can trust God's motives. We can trust that, you know, God is working for our good. And we can just simply rest in this truth. That we can step back from the busyness of life and just simply rest in this truth. So today we move on to number two. Was number one good enough? that was a pretty good one, wasn't it? Now we move on to number two. Number two, things God can't do. Number two is... God can't want your worst. God can't want your worst. God can't want your day to be horrible. God can't want your life to just fall apart. God can't want things to be absolutely horrible for you. God always wants what's best for you. He always wants what is in your best interests. What does this mean for us? Number 1, it means that God eagerly watches over all of our lives. He watches over you. And notice I gave you a little subtext there, even when you walk away. Even when you choose the worst. God, nevertheless, is always desiring what is best. Even when you walk down a path that is contrary to His will and His desire and His dream for your life, even though you choose to follow another path the way of the world and it leads to the way of destruction, the whole time you're walking that way, God still wants what's best for you. No matter what you're doing in your life, it doesn't change. God's desire over your life... Is whatever is absolutely best for you? Let me show you why that is, how that is. If you go to Genesis 1, this whole creation, <coughs> excuse me, creation experience, uh, we learn a fundamental about how we were created. If you go to Genesis 1 verse 26, it says, "God said, "Now we will make humans, and they will be what? God has a vested interest in how you look. I don't mean how you look exterior. I mean how you display, how you reflect yourself to the world. Because he made you to look like him. It's the way you were created. It's what you were created to be like. He said, well, let them rule over the fish and the birds and all the other living creatures. Now look at verse 27. So God created humans to be like who? (coughs) Excuse me. That's what you were created for. You were created to reflect the best of God. That's the way you were formed and fashioned. God gave you then His blessings. He said He made them men and women, so we all, we're all in there, right? And God gave them His blessings. So God made you with the intention that you would have only the best of who God is. You know, once in a while, Jill and I will, you know, have a weekend now where all the kids come back and it's kind of a big weekend, you know, with lots of activity that we're not used to anymore. And uh, inevitably, as the weekend unfolds and, uh, you know, the kids finally get back, we'll sit down and talk about it. As the weekend unfolds, we're in that, that stage of our life where we look at the behaviors of our kids. And we look at those behaviors over that weekend and we say, boy, I wish you didn't get that from me. Right? Anybody had that experience? See, you always want, when you look at your kids, you always want your kids to get the best part of you. Right? You always hope that between the two of you that they'll get the best part of you and the best part of her and that means when they reflect themselves to the world, they will only reflect the best part of both of you. Now, it doesn't always work. But that's what we desire, right? That's the way God works. When God made you, God made you to have only the best. Only the best of who He is in His nature. He wants you to reflect and experience the best of what created life can offer. If you take that in, if you take that truth in, it means right away there's an attitude adjustment for us because we know as we go through our days, not always do our days go the best. And when things start going bad, when we start get wrap, getting wrapped up in, the, in that bummer day and the, the Debbie Downer, anybody know Debbie Downer? Yeah, the Debbie Downers of the day, we need to step back and say, wait a minute. That's not what God created me for. Wait a minute. I am not going to get wrapped up and sucked into these kinds of experiences because that's not what God created me for. God created me for the best. It's the opportunity for us to understand that God always wants the best, and he's always offering the best even in the smallest of details in our life. If you go into Matthew 10, you can see how God is so concerned about us and even the smallest of things in our lives. Verse 29 says, Aren't two sparrows sold for only one penny? How valuable are those, pe- those uh, sparrows? A penny. In today's market, that's a lot of money, but a penny. A penny. Okay? I mean, how many times, you know, have, well, maybe you don't, but others, have you seen people walk by and leave a penny laying on the ground? That's how valuable the sparrows A penny. They're worth a penny. Aren't two sparrows sold for only one penny? But your Father knows when any one of them falls to the ground. Even the hairs on your head are counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. God is in the details of your life. And even in the smallest thing, He only wants your best. He only wants your best. Let's look at the text that was uh, shared with you earlier, the story that Jesus told and he tells this story about this son who goes wayward. He tells the story because he wants people who listen to the story to understand God. He wants them to understand what God is like in his nature. And so he tells the story about the son. He says, once a man had two sons. The younger son said to his father... Give me my share of the property. So the father divided his property between his two sons. Look at that for a minute. What is the son doing when he comes to the dad? He's saying, Look, dad, right now in my life, you're as good as dead to me. Yes? He wants his inheritance. When do you usually get your inheritance? After dad dies, right? I mean, inheritance. I mean, it's part of the process. After dad dies, you get the inheritance. The son is coming to his dad and saying, Look, dad, as far as I'm concerned, you're just as good as dad in my life right now. The only thing I need from you is the cash. And look what the dad does. So, little word, big outcome. So... The father divided his property between his two sons. Who would do that? My kids come to me and want their inheritance. Good luck, guys. Right? Look at the nature of this father. This father wants only the best for his son to the point of saying, Okay, I am willing to... To let you treat me that way. And I'll still only want the best for you. And he divides the inheritance and he gives it to him. What's the son do next? Not long after that, the younger son packed up everything he owned and left for a foreign country. Not only is dad as good as dead, the son wants nothing to do with dad. He now walks out of Dad's life. He rejects Dad. He rejects his home. He rejects Dad's way of life and decides he knows better. So he leaves for a foreign country where he wasted all his money in wild living. Boy, does he know better. He had spent everything on a bad famine spread throughout the whole land, so he had nothing to eat. He wastes everything. How many years do you suppose the dad had to work for that inheritance? I mean, how many many hours of sweat, equity, do you suppose those dollars that the dad just gave over to his son represented? And yet the son wastes it like that. Dad, how do you feel right now? All of those years, all of that toil, all of that work, all of that life that you poured into creating the opportunity for your son, and your son takes the cast that you worked so hard to achieve, and he wastes it having a good time. See, over these these weeks, we've been seeing a lot of our assets go in the dumpster. And only because of the greed of humanity. And we're sorrowful. Imagine how this father could feel when he sees all of his assets given to his son just wasted, unintentional, wild living. The story goes on. The son went to work for a man in that country. The man sent him out to take care of the pigs. He would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, this is a significant statement for this young man because he is Jewish. And pigs are absolutely unclean animals. This young man is at the lowest of the lowest of the lowest points in his life. For a young Jewish boy to be taking care of pigs is unthinkable, let alone having him look at what they eat and say, looks good to me. Verse 17, finally, it's a big word, it is that moment where the son finally comes to his senses. He steps back and he says, you know what? Maybe dad's not so bad. Finally, he came to his senses and said, my father's workers have plenty to eat and here I am starving to death. I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. Treat me like one of your workers. He has that moment where he steps back and understands. God, the father in this case, the father only wants the best, even for his workers. And his workers have it better than why have it right now. Now we know in the story everything that the son's been doing, right? Now, what has the father been doing? What has the father been doing in the story? When we look now at what the father does in the story, we'll see that God will not give up on you. Just like the father doesn't give up on his son. God will not give up on the opportunity to bring the best into your life. It says in the text, The young son got up and started back to his father. But when he was still, how far off? A long way off. This is an important piece. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does this mean? Every single day, throughout the entire day, what did the father do? he scanned the horizon in the hopes that he would see his son. Day after day after day, hour after hour, he kept looking down the road and hoping he would see his son. The father never stopped desiring to have his son back and bring the best into his life. The father never gave up. And he scanned the horizon every single day, looking and wanting and waiting for his son. And finally, when he saw him, it says he felt sorry for him. Now, of the range of emotions that the father could have felt in that moment, I mean, think about it. What well, we just walked through think of the responses the father could have had. Sure, now you show up. Wasted all the cash I worked all my life for, and now you come walking down the road. Could have said it, right? Not too far away from my tongue, I'll admit it. How many other things could the father responded with? The father could have seen him far off and said, oh yeah, he thinks he's going to get back in right? And yet right away, what is the immediate response by the nature of the father? The father's heart breaks for his son. He felt sorry for him. He felt sorry for him. God will never give up on you. He always wants to bring the best into your life. And then look what the father does. It says, he ran to his son He hugged him, and he kissed him. Do you see that? He didn't even wait for the kid to come back with his head down. He didn't even come back, wait, and say, yeah, well, he's got to come and get a little homage going here. It says the father took the initiative, and he ran to his son. God is always looking for the opportunity to bring the breast into your life, and he will never give up. He will always be searching the horizon, and he is always ready to run to whatever circumstance you experience. He is always ready to bring to you the absolute best he can bring into your life. He hugged him and he kissed him. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. In the sun, the son said, "Father?" I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. What a moment. What a moment. The son comes clean before his father. God wants our best, and it starts when we just wipe away all the stuff. When we just wipe away all of that self pride. When we just wipe away all of that own desire when we just wipe away all of that stuff that leads us down that that path that that son walked that walks away from the father and leads only to destruction when we say and understand god you're the one you've always wanted the best for me you're the one you always have watched over my life you've always wanted to be there in the midst of even the details you've never given up on me and i give up on me now that's what the sun does god you want the best and what i want to do now is align myself with you with your path with your desire god wants to give you the best And the best he could do is give you his best, Jesus Christ, to be your shield, to be your protector, to be your guide, to be your guardian, to be your life. God can't want your worst. He can only want your best. That's what he does for the son. It says, God wants to give you the best. Verse 22 says, but the father said to the servant, hurry. See the urgency there? That's how bad he wants it. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Bring the best clothes. Put them on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Get the best calf. Did you see that? Get the best calf and prepare it so he can eat and celebrate. The son of mine was dead but has now come back to life. He was lost. It has now been found. And they began to celebrate. God only wants your best. The ring on his finger, the sign of of the father's authority, the the best calf, not just the the one that happened to be there, the best calf you could buy, the abundance of that feast that night. God can't want your worst. He only wants your best. Paul understood it this way when he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, God raised us from death to life with Christ. Notice the tense there. It doesn't mean God's going to someday do this. It means when Christ is in your life, this is what he does for you. God raised us from death to life with Christ Jesus, and he has given us a place beside Christ in heaven. That's the best, the absolute best. And God did this so that in the future, uh, the world, he, sh- he could show how truly good and kind He is to us because of what Christ Jesus has done. He only wants your best. He only wants your best. Paul would understand it when he wrote to the Corinthians saying, I'm grateful that God always makes it possible for Christ to lead us to what? Victory, not defeat. He only wants your best. And finally, even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah understood it as God spoke through Jeremiah and said, I will bless you with a future filled with hope, a future of success, not of suffering. God always wants your best. He can't want your worst. And he gave you his absolute best in Jesus Christ. Amen.